Fostering inclusion has been a focus for many organisations for some time now. But how can leaders ensure their people feel valued and included when they're in a dispersed workforce? I'm Hamish Coots, and you're listening to Talent Talks, brought to you by SEEK. For REA Group, the focus is on cultivating inclusion every day, rather than just through specific programs or initiatives. REA's Chief People Officer, Mary Lamonis, joined us for this remote episode of Talent Talks. She spoke to us about the group's evolving approach to inclusion and the importance of transparent communication from leadership. I also picked Mary's brain about managing and engaging a dispersed workforce and what workplaces might look like in the years ahead. But let's start with with inclusion and I'll start with a fairly big, broad question. What does it mean to provide an inclusive experience at REA Group? For us, it's about making sure that it is something that is always on. You know, we've all all been on this journey with organisations where inclusion was more initiative-based. You know, you'd you'd do the training, you'd have those moments, but it wasn't necessarily something that was just part of the everyday consideration. Or it's an and, it's not an all, because I think you do need to have those moments where you step back, look at yourself, reflect, build capability. For us, I think it's really about making sure that everyone has a voice. It's really about, you know, living into our values Um, You know, we talk about owning it. We're talking about reimagining it. It's really making sure that it's just part of the the way we do things every day, as opposed to probably where it's been in the past, which is more of a more of a programmatic consideration. That has been probably the biggest shift from that sort of programmatic, you know, we did unconscious bias training in earnest a few years ago into what is now just a, a very frequent cadence of the things we do and the way we do them. Mm. So if I think about the things we do, and, you know, this will sort of touch on COVID, it was a real unlock for us just in terms of the way we communicate across the organisation. You know, we used to have very sort of, you know, quarterly town halls and big event sort of communications. COVID really allowed us to unlock frequency, which I think then just by virtue of that creates inclusion. We're a Melbourne-based head office. You know, we've got probably over 80% of our employees in Melbourne, but we also have employees in Asia. We have employees around different states in Australia. And the feedback we get from those that aren't in Melbourne is COVID was the ultimate leveller and the ultimate way to sort of create that inclusion. I think the other way it shaped our thinking and how it's evolved is as we develop programs or practices or experiences, we're always starting with conversations at the beginning when we developed our people leader competencies, we actually started just with conversations talking to our people leaders Mm. and saying, you know, what is most important to you? We didn't give them a menu. We just started with a blank piece of paper. And it was fascinating to see how through their own voices, fostering team safety and inclusion was one of the things that made it to the top of the list. Yeah, okay. As them seeing that this is a key role that I play in the business. We create lots of opportunities for dialogue, yeah. You know, sometimes that's uncomfortable. Uh, you know, I'm, Owen and I, it, during the heart of COVID, uh, we were doing weekly town halls. We've now moved them to fortnightly. Yeah. Everyone Zooms in. We encourage ownership of questions, but we still have anonymous questions. Okay. We get lots of questions, probably the same question every, you know, every <laughs> town halls. So I think it's just about giving people a voice and allowing for those various voices to be heard and understood. Was that a huge shift for yourself to be not so much answering those questions because, as I said, you had 10 halls before, but there were so many things on people's mind that were often so common that you would be being asked these questions possibly time and time and time again. And- <laughs> 
I think transparency, frequency and recency, they're just such important attributes in, in the type of work that we do, you know, but equally honesty. So if the same question has come up and we just have to engage openly and honestly and admit that sometimes we, we won't always tell people what they want to hear and that's okay. That's the job. And that's an interesting point you make about the great leveller um, with everybody having to Zoom into meetings, et cetera. I often used to feel sorry for people that had to dial into a meeting being the single face on a screen when there might have been 20 people in a boardroom. Um, you're exactly right. It is the great leveller. And certainly a lot of people in our regions actually felt that they were more included in those meetings um, and more able to actually participate in those conversations because they felt a bit more level with everybody else being on Zoom as well which is perhaps something we didn't necessarily think of. What's wonderful in that, and, you know, it sort of comes full circle to inclusion, the concept of the idea, although it was kicked into touch by COVID, was actually something that we had heard from uh, when we did our engagement survey that we got the results for just before COVID hit or a couple of months before. One of our interstaters was saying, you know, this whole town hall experience isn't great when you're interstate. You know, you're in this big room, you're seeing the CEO at a real distance and, and it's almost like they fought. They said, you know, there's just got to be a better way to have more connected dialogue. And I think, you know, it'll be really, really interesting to see how Zoom or, you know, whatever sort of mechanic people use to, to do things like video conferencing, how that evolves in a hybrid world. Yeah. What we're finding is now you've got people in rooms, people, you know, on laptops. It's something we're working through at the moment to sort of try and see how we can get in front of that. Where are you at the moment in terms of your workforce, not just in Melbourne, but you've got a bit of a hybrid model with some people back and other people still remote? So we've anchored to a concept of moments that matter for our hybrid work. I'll keep on coming back to inclusion. We were really clear as we were just getting our heads up out of the heart of COVID, which was probably for our business, maybe July-ish. You know, I think we Mm. were all sort of first few months, March, April, May, June, I think we were all just trying to figure it out, yeah. you know, what was going on, three scenario planning, worst case, best case. And so we sort of came up for air in about July and said, look, there's going to be something to this and what should we do? And instead of doing the classic thing, which is a few people in a room, we actually used our own internal business design philosophy and created a design sprint with people across the business. We ran the survey. I'm sure everyone yeah. did the survey <laughs> in some way, shape or form. And then we used that to then drive a design sprint around future of work. So that was really helpful for us. We had over 50 people across the business involved. And again, it was in the same way that we create our consumer and customer products. We sort of did it in a five-day sprint and we used that to then come back and then formulate recommendations and insights about where we would go. Uh, It was really important to us that where we landed in terms of our positioning wasn't one person's point of view. And so getting those multiple imports and then using that to determine where we were going to go to next was really important. So we're early in the journey. Yeah. The key philosophies are give and get. It's got to work for you. It's got to work for the business. It's around the moments that matter. Where are those moments that really make sense to be physically together? Where are those moments where it it sort of doesn't matter? And where are those moments where it's actually more, you know, appropriate to be sitting and, and doing the work in a more sort of virtual fashion? I'm interested to pick up some of the specific initiatives you can share with us that you maybe recently introduced to instill inclusion and collaboration for your people. We are continuing to look for ways to get more insight about what does inclusion really look like in our business. So we've just uh, recently finished our culture survey. We're partnering with Human Synergistics and doing the OCI uh, for the first time at scale at REA. We did it a couple of years ago with just a subset of our business. Uh, But this is the first time where we've taken a really 
scale lens across Australia and all our international businesses to really get a good sense of what is our culture. Again, we're really hoping that that will give us more insight into some of the specific areas of opportunity for us to continue to drive inclusion as one example amongst other amongst other things. Mm. Uh, we also, again, um, accelerated our efforts in the mental health space last year. So uh, we've deliberately built the capability of the PNC team in that space and over half, about 20 of the team participated in mental health first aid training. I hate to be overly simplistic, a lot of it starts with conversation and talking to the people that are most impacted. It's just change management 101. So Mary, you mentioned team safety and I'm really interested to sort of dive down a little bit further into that. What does team safety mean and what were those conversations that you had initially with your leaders, I guess, that led to talking about team safety? Yeah, so as part of setting up our people leader competency framework, so if I I take a few steps back, Uh, When we were setting up our OKRs or objective key results, you know, the the big goals for PNC a couple of years ago, one of the goals we set for ourselves was we wanted REA to be known as the place for great managers. We wanted people to come here because they knew that they were going to have a tremendous leadership experience in terms of the people that they got to work with and for. And that led us to a conversation which is, well, do our managers actually know what we expect of them? So we didn't really have a clear framework to be able to express to our leaders what excellent people leadership looked like. Mm. And in starting that conversation, of course, there's a you know a plethora of things in the in the in the external space that you can go to. But we decided to actually do it through a focus group approach with our leaders. So we spoke to, you know, I'd say it's at least over 50 leaders uh, through the course of many weeks, different levels of leadership. We've got roughly 300 plus leaders at REA. Yeah. Um, or people managers at REA. So it was a fairly good whack of feedback. And in those conversations, we just started talking about what are the moments that matter as it relates to being a leader and then what are yeah. the elements or what are the attributes that make them moments that matter and, and what, what looks like a good one? You know, what are those what we call champagne moments? You know, what are the behaviours that get exhibited? And so that's where the concept of fostering team safety and inclusion came up. And It was very much anchored in building trust within teams, uh, creating a culture focused on authentic connection and actively including people to create a sense of belonging for all. So if I think about the three words that come to mind when we talk about fostering team safety and inclusion, it's about trust, it's about connectedness and it's about inclusion. And in terms of equipping your leaders, so that, that's great. So you obviously identify that, but then I guess there comes the hard work for them. They're actually out on the floor or over Zoom and managing their people. Obviously, you're an extremely successful tech company. How did you actually use technology to help equip your leaders? And, you know, and there are many dispersed workforces yep. to actually be able to do their job and make sure that their, their team does feel safe. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, Hamish, and it was a combo of old school and new, new school, I would say, approach. By that I mean we actually were ready to roll these people leader competencies out just before COVID hit. You know, after we all caught our breath, maybe after the first six weeks, we, we did sort of look at ourselves and go, what do we do now? Do we hold? Do we not? And, again, the town hall, virtual town hall forum just gave us this incredible opportunity to go really hard. And it was thanks to Owen Wilson, our CEO, who said, you know what, let's just go. And so we started engaging with our people leader cohort on a monthly basis. We'd never done that before. Uh, And that was a great opportunity for us. So that's the old school sort of let's have a conversation. Obviously, we leveraged Zoom. We created a people leader portal on our garage. The garage is actually the name of our intranet. 
Uh, I'm sure you can see the associations, <laughs> even homes, etc. So we've created a people leader portal. Leaders can go in, look at the competencies, look at quick sort of support tips. We give them questions to ask themselves about that particular competency. We also mm. give them questions that they can think about to ask their teams. There's their own leaders, there's their PNC support partners, there's other people they can talk to, but we do want to make sure that we give people the opportunity to self-serve and, and get yeah. information when they need it. Obviously, we have our REAU platform where people can go online and, you know, delve into particular areas and, and build capability more deeply if they feel that that's an area they're lacking and or they want to know more about. I just want to touch on belonging because obviously belonging, you know, it's a huge part of inclusion. What does it mean to actually belong at REA? Feeling safe and it is feeling trusted and it is feeling like you are included and connected. You know, if I look at those elements, it's a nice easy equation, but if you think about trust, connection and inclusion, if you can deliver on that for people, then, you know, I think belonging follows I often say to people, if you took sleep, we're at work probably more than we do most things, you know, other than hopefully resting. And so you really want people to feel like they are valued and giving value. And so from that perspective, I think it's making sure that people understand and have the opportunity to feel that that connection is there and that their, their voices are heard. And sometimes that's not always going to be perfect and that's okay. You know, this is about creating the best experience we possibly can. Not perfection, because I think that's unrealistic. Having the learning conversation, I think we all know that, you know, you look at your own career, you look at your own relationships, we usually learn the most from the things that didn't work as opposed to the things that did. And there are those pivotal learning moments, and I think we should be really open to that in organisations. Let's talk about the future workplace, um, which I'm really interested to, to get some of your viewpoints on as well. And what will REA Group workplaces look like moving forward post-COVID and into the future? The world has changed. Uh, as one of my colleagues said, people's lives have improved for a lot of people. If people still have their work, you know, let's put the economic implications of COVID to the side. But for those who were fortunate enough to not have their workplaces disrupted and their way of working disrupted, that they could do that virtually... A lot of people have gotten time back and they're using it more prudently and they're using it in ways that works for them. They're using it in ways that optimises their productivity at work. I can't imagine that that sort of shift of hybrid mode is going to change. You know, I think what we saw is there was always flex. REA always had flex, but it wasn't flex at scale. And now we are talking flex at scale. So I can imagine that we'll be here to stay. I don't have a crystal ball, but based on what I know now, I, I look at myself, I rarely worked from home, rarely. And now I relish the opportunity that it gives me for focus sometimes, uh, that it means it's an hour less getting to and from. Yeah. You know, but equally, I was in the office in Melbourne last week with the team. It was exhilarating to physically be together. We were having a moment that matters for us, which was a, you know, a, a meeting with my leadership team and sort of doing planning and and, and, and team effectiveness work, and that is very hard to do on a Zoom. Yes, yeah. What the physical workspace looks like is going to be very interesting for us. It's one of the reasons we chose, I mentioned we are doing a culture diagnostic and that that will help us give some more insight on inclusion. We feel very strongly about culture at REA and, and we feel that it is our secret source. And, yes, it's not perfect, but there's things that really work well for us, but equally there's things we want to do a bit better. And so... That's really what drove us to do the culture diagnostic now. 
and to really use that to then shape the future of, okay, well, what would that mean for future of work? Like I said, we just closed that off this last week and we're waiting for the results of that. As far as the physical workspace, we've got some ideas about where that might go, but really nothing concrete at the moment. And, you know, when you're dealing with capital decisions, I think it's important that we experiment as much as we can. And uh, I mentioned a design sprint approach earlier for future of work. We're actually going to kick off another design sprint on these two topics exactly, the physical workspace and this notion of, you know, for want of a better word, productivity. And what does that actually mean? Because I think as we move into more of a scale hybrid approach, we want data to support whether we think we're doing, we're on the right track or not. I think when you're in a hybrid world, data is going to be really important because otherwise it just becomes about what people can see and you can't see everything in a hybrid world. That's just not the way it works. Everyone's not in the same place. What does collaboration look like? We know the power of getting people in the one room Mm. and what can happen in a room when you get all that energy in the room. Is that something that when you look at the hybrid working arrangement, it stands out to you that those moments that matter, collaboration is is one of those that we really, you know, we can harness a lot of energy from our people when we do get them in the same room. Our early view on this is that when you need to do work that requires a lot of voices and input at the same time, having being together in that physical space to do that type of work is conducive. It's not impossible to do it virtually. We proved that. A lot of it, all of us proved that last year. It's not impossible. And, you know, if you look at outputs of the business and and where we're tracking, you know, you'd say, hey, it was, you know, a lot of great work was done virtually. I think it's just more the, the tax on people to be able to engage in a really meaningful, focused way in design work when you're not necessarily in that same space, building off that same energy, but not impossible. And I think, you know, we'll continue to sort of experience, confirm or deny. Like I think one of the things for us is just being really open-minded to go, look, we can take some positions, but we won't know until we've sort of lived it for a bit. Yeah, exactly right. So I think for me, I would say, and if I use the example of being with my team last week and, and we were actually doing, you know, some team effectiveness work and then we did some strategy work, Could we have done it virtually? Sure. Would it have had that same energy uh, and maybe, you know, as a consequence impact? Mm. Potentially not. Australian workplaces, and obviously you're you're well connected, you would speak to a lot of people. Do you have a prediction of what it might look like, say, by the year 2030? What working, perhaps, and let's just use our industry, in a technology industry, what that might look like, I guess, in terms of a physical workspace, but also perhaps the type of works that we'll be doing? I think this sense of really making sure, and I think we've always had this notion in workplaces, but making sure that what works for the individual is working for the business and that sort of those lines blurring and that level. I look at wellbeing, Hamish, as a sort of a close-read example. Good organisations have been thinking about wellbeing for a while and doing things around wellbeing for a while. COVID just sort of amplified that, if I think about it, I'll call it wellbeing squared. You know, that's not going to go away. The role that the organisation plays in supporting its employees to be the best that they can possibly be in all of those dimensions, that is not going to go away. And I think there's just going to be a few more overlays where how do we sort of bring these two 
worlds together a bit more to understand, you know, organisations are organisations, employees are employees, but we are all people and you sort of don't take one bit off and come into the to the office or, you know, sit at the desk. And, you know, I think that was one of the things we learned with COVID. It was so humanising. We got to see people's lives in a second dimension, I would say, you know, versus what we would normally have experienced in the workplace. And so when I think about the future, I think I think they're definitely, you know, we talk about blended workforce strategies and, you know, fixed in fixed employees. And I, I remember being in conversations 10 years ago when we were talking about, you know, gigs, not roles. And at the time, I think we were all sort of not even thinking about Uber, for example. I think we were all thinking about well, what would this look like in a traditional workplace context? I think this sort of sense of what is an organisational structure that will definitely evolve. What we all hope and aspire to, which is this flow to work based on capability, not necessarily reporting line, you know, we're just going to get better at that because we're going to have more data and more insight. So I I know I've taken this in lots of different directions, but there are, I think, some universal things that will stay, you know, the importance of purpose and really feeling that sense of why am I here, why am I in this particular organisation. Agility will continually be critical understanding the capabilities that are required for effectiveness. You know, I think those things will stay. Look, you've been really generous with your time. We love to finish these podcasts with a bit of advice because we've got a really diverse audience. Some people in SME, some people in HR. Share some advice with our listeners, if you would, whether they work in technology or HR role. How do you suggest they inspire connection within their teams given the current circumstances? Take the time, I'd say, firstly. Uh, I'm a big believer in... uh, understanding people, particularly those that work for you, deeply. The expression I use is, you know, know what floats your boat, but also know what floats the boat of others. And in order to do that, you know, you need to understand people. You need to understand what's important to them. You know, I I have my little six questions that I ask anyone when I start to work with them for the first time and go, right, here are the moments that matter. Tell me which ones are the most important to you. Not just assuming that that's static. People's needs change. And I think the, the only way that you can really be the best leader you can be is to know your people really well, to engage in dialogue, to seek feedback. I think it's really powerful. It's not just about giving it. Getting it is just as valuable for us. So a lot of the tried and true principles that may not be groundbreaking, but I think it's just doing the work and spending the time. It's one of the privileges of my role. I I genuinely love to get to see people be their best and as a result do their best and sometimes in my role I get to see people at their worst that's what happens in this in this line of work the joy is when you see people get to really fly well thanks for joining us for this remote episode for more ideas and discussions on the world of work and all things recruitment and HR stay tuned for upcoming episodes of Seek Talent Talks